Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping, cause it's Right, everybody. Welcome to the 81st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in Southern Oregon. Draft is getting close, my friend. It's almost here. Two weeks away. Can you believe it? Like I, I thought it was always the last Thursday in June, so I've been mentally preparing myself for it to be on the 29th, probably for the past six, seven months. And I looked up the other day and found out, oh, it's the 22nd, and that's my last day of vacation that I'll be here. I don't have to worry about getting off work early. It worked out perfectly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on a family vacation just getting home for this for this draft. So things are working out for the both of us, and I, I, I fuck with it, man. And this is part two of our 2017 NBA draft coverage here on the Holy Backboard podcast. Part one, you can catch, we talk about our top prospects that not only we like, but that we see other mock drafts are kind of uh, placing uh, in Portland's favor at 15 and 20. This podcast, we're going to talk about some late first round steals at pick number 26. And if Sage and I were Neil Olshay and offered the uh, opportunity to move up, who would we target and why? Uh, I know it's a little bit juicier to talk about who we'd move up to target, but Let's actually talk about our last and final pick that we have because we we know this pick is coming unless we trade it. So, Sage, kick us off. Who is the prospect you wanted to talk to talk about at 26? You alluded to him on part one of our podcast, but give our audience a little uh, 411. So, my guy is Wesley Wandu. He played in Kansas State from Houston Texans. He's 6'7" plays in a system, can defend long, and all of those attributes are great. And you know why he's going to be there at 26? He's 22 years old. That's too old. And people think he's not the best shooter, but he hit 35% this year. He's improved. He has a hitch on his shot, but the way he passes, the way he's unselfish, the way he works hard, it goes past it. If... I personally think that he will be better than most of these guys that are taken with the upside pick that really didn't do shit in college. I think I think it's because coaches think that they can teach these guys with promise how to play. But Wesley Iwandu already knows how to play. He can fill a role. He can fill the role of wing defender that can play make and lockdown one through three. That's Wesley Awandu. He's in the Damari Carroll, Jay Crowder mold. And I think of him of having a ceiling of Josh Howard. Remember him when he played on the Mavs for all those years? He was an all-star in 2006, I believe, too. Late first round pick out of Wake. So his shot is what scares people. It has a hitch in it. But we also have a small forward or a power forward on our team with a hitch. Wesley's is more developed. He's worked on it. I've seen video of him just recently hitting trays. 
he took a huge leap. 51 for 155 is nothing to sneeze at from taking the three. And he led a really crappy Kansas State team. And just just brightened up my day whenever I watched Wesley Wandu play. So I do love the wingspan. He's about six seven in shoes, a seven one wingspan. Great for a wing player. Gives him the ability to switch between the two and the three. Uh, almost thirty eight percent from downtown during his senior year. Um, college three point line. So that does show that he has the ability to shoot. Uh, you basically personified him as the quintessential three and D player. My only concern, and it has nothing to do with his age, is twenty six might feel like a bit of a reach. And what I mean by that is Draft Express has him slated as going 56. That's not even early second round, not even mid-second round. That's on the borderline of not even being drafted. Do you think there is a better likelihood that Portland keeps 26 and maybe purchases a second round pick? Because from all intended purposes, he sounds like an ideal glue guy. He knows his role, he is a specialist, and he can thrive. It doesn't seem like he has really reached his potential and Portland has seen a tremendous amount of success going after older players in the draft. Alan Crabb was a junior. CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard were both seniors by age coming out of their schools as well. So there is the age is actually, I think, a benefit. I don't think enough upperclassmen get enough credit for staying around in college and refining their game. Sure, they might not have the most perceived potential, but you know what you're going to get. And I think later on in the draft, you're more likely to hit on somebody who you know than an Hassan Whiteside or a DeAndre Jordan. Those guys are complete flukes. I think you're more likely to find a guy like Paul Millsap in the second round who is, you know, a four-year guy coming from a school where he knows what he has done. Paul Millsap was that rebounder, that score, a Wandu, that lockdown defender and capable shooter. So what I ask you, Sage, do you would you really take him at 26, or is it just a guy you wanted to talk about? I personally, if I was Neil O'Shea, I would take him at 26 because I think that he's going to hit for our team. And the pl- there's plenty of players in that 20, 30 range where you can say, hey, this guy, if he hits, is going to be better than Wesley. But... What he is now and what he can be, I think, is safer. Yes, I want to talk about him. We don't have a second-round pick as, as right now. I know it's very easy to get, but if we ended up taking a Wandu as a pick at 26, and people think that's way too high for him, but he turns out to be better than those potential picks, I think that's just another feather in his hat, in Neil O'Shea's hat, for finding the guy that fits our scheme, and could play really good defense for us. So if you were Neil O'Shea, would you seek out offers for two second-round picks, though, and pick him up with one of those two early Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I would be just as happy. I mean, yeah, every mock has him 50, 40 in in the second round, or undrafted. But I kind of trust my gut when I see a, like, this is all about gut, man. Like, What first turned you on to him? I think it was the playmaking because he actually like when I I watched like the Kansas Kansas State game and I saw this kid who was lanky and played really tough defense, but he would find these shooters in the corner on plays where like I'm looking at the screen 
wide, you know? I'm looking at it on TV, and I couldn't find the shooters that he is finding in the corners, and it just shows the playmaking ability of a, a guy who's 6'7", and then just seeing that he locked down Frank Mason, who I think is a winner in any level, or how he frustrated Josh Jackson. It's like, this guy is going to be a gem in this draft. So that's your guy at 26. If I was in the t- if I was in the GM room with uh, Neil O'Shea in the draft room, I would be banging my fist for Wesley Owandu. The guy I'm going to talk about at 26, we've got two guys I'm going to talk about. The first one, probably a polar opposite in terms of type of prospect, type of player. And it's Harry Giles, the center out of Duke, the former number one overall high school player, probably since his sophomore year. He has been the class of uh, 2016's really top recruit. And I originally wasn't going to touch on Giles. However, more and more mocks have been placing him at Portland, especially with Portland having three picks. I've seen him go as high as the lottery. I've seen him go as low as 26 to 30 um, late in the first round. And Portland actually just worked him out this afternoon. So there is reason to believe he he could be a first round pick uh, of the Trailblazers. You know, you're looking at a guy who who's 6'11", 222, uh, definitely needs to gain more weight. But the wingspan of 7'3", I mean, he is a new age center. Uh, he's not a center by any traditional means. You put him up against a guy like Nurkic, and it's not going to be a fair contest. But in today's day and age, you can get get away with him playing in the front court, whether it's the four or the five. I think why he's listed as a center is he doesn't have really the offensive refinery skills of a power forward. And why he is so low is because there is tremendous risk that comes with drafting um, Harry Giles. I mean, just a quick rundown. He tore his ACL, his MCL, and his meniscus in 2013, which that in itself would be completely horrific. Then he tore his right ACL in 2015. He had knee arthroscopy, um, arthroscopy in October of 2016. He missed the first 11 or so games at Duke this year. And to be honest, when I watched him at Duke, his confidence was, was tremendously low. Um, he didn't trust his knees, didn't trust his body, rightfully so, um, a little bit gun shy and had he been healthy and had he not had injuries, we're talking about a guy who was easily the number one overall pick in the draft. I mean, there, there is no debate here, um, whether or not who's full ball, it's, it's Harry Giles. I mean, you're looking at a player who has a little bit of Kevin Garnett in him. When you watch his high school tape, it looks like a taller Garnett. Um, when he has confidence, he's dribbling the basketball with such fluidity that, of a guard. He's splitting the defense. He's going around defenders and just hammering at home. He has a lot of swagger. He lost a lot of that, not only with the injuries, but just at his time at Duke. So if you do take Giles, it is a huge risk. But with Portland, one, small market, free agents don't come here. Um, have no cap space. This roster is essentially tied up for the next four or five years. Two, you have multiple draft picks. So if you want to take a risk and swing for a home run, I don't think anyone would fault Neil Olshay for doing so. Think of it as a low risk, 
medium to high reward. Because if he hits, he's going to be the Anthony Davis of this team. Like, you saw his, you, you look at his high school tape when he looks confident. And it's a totally different player than what you see when you watch at Duke. So if he can get back to that, and hopefully those injuries don't hold him down, at 26, I would be fine with taking uh, Harry Giles. I think 15 or 20, I'd have I'd feel a different sort of way. But at 26, swing for the fences. If it hits, it's hitting hard. Yeah, I think at 15, I would be completely opposed to it. 20, I would be left scratching my head, not super upset, not super happy. 26, I think I could live with it. I'm still kind of on the fence whether I would want Portland to draft him. It has nothing to do with our injury history in the past. It has everything to do with how players have recovered from from knee injuries. And we're not talking one or two. We're talking multiple injuries on both of his knees and Right now, his game is completely predicated on athleticism. He hasn't had the chance to grow really into his body and grow his game. Like He's capable of doing a left um, shoulder, right shoulder baby hook shot, but even then, it is so inconsistent, and he really doesn't have a great feel for the game. So the game doesn't necessarily come natural to him right now, and a lot of that could be doing to missing so much time over the course of his high school and collegiate career. But you watch some of his tape, you watch some of his his, his videos, excuse me, the game speeds up, he commits a lot of fouls, he, he's, he's handsy on defense, and he's a little turnover prone. In that sense, he reminds me a lot of Greg Oden. When we first got Greg, big man was always in foul trouble. I mean, he, I think he fouled out of a summer league game. Exactly. And so if you take him... It is a long-term investment, and you you have to go in it knowing the likelihood of him injuring re-injuring his knee is significantly significantly high. I mean, we saw it with Derrick Rose. Uh, game was really based on speed, athleticism, and he never regained it. And he continued to have multiple, you know, snafus kind of here and there, and just. A former MVP is now really a shell of his former self and probably shouldn't even be in the NBA if we're being completely honest. So it's tough for me to say like what I think Giles can be. Um, you watch the high school tape. I mean, you, you look at the rankings and you kind of get enamored with it. But once you start stripping away like what he was and look at what he is, it, this draft is so deep. I feel like if this was last year's draft or maybe next year's, I would be all on board with taking him with one of our picks. But I mean, my God, we're talking about a, a guy in, in uh, Wesley Wandu who can contribute from day one, and he's probably a late second round pick. I mean, it's it's that deep that you almost don't want to take a risk, but you almost have to. So I don't envy Neil Olshay in this decision right now in this draft. I, I think there's a lot of like narrative built about around like the media saying this is a deep draft. This is a deep draft. 2012 was a deep draft. 13 looks really... No, 14 looks really bad. 15 looks pretty awful. 13 looked better than expected. Yeah, exactly. But this is the year to have three picks. There are legit NBA players that are going to be in the second round. Absolutely. So there's a lot of pressure on the Blazers especially since they have three first-round picks. I think Harry is 
acceptable at 26, but anything, anything higher up, that scares the shit out of me because of his injury history and what he showed us, dude. Completely dude. scares the shit out of me. Um, Draft Express um, noted that Harry Giles averaged just 13.5 points per 40 minutes. That is the lowest rate among collegiate players currently projected to get drafted. So we are talking extremely raw, extremely risky. That the more I think about it, I'm kind of talking myself out because it is such a deep draft. And, you know, we're going to kind of move on to um, another freshman, a uh, freshman phenom who reminds me a lot of Bismack Biombo mixed in with a young Dwight Howard. And that's uh, Bam out of Bayou from Kentucky, the, the center who. Again, I've seen him lottery. I've seen him end of the first round. It's really interesting to see where he's going to go. Um, so that's why we kind of had to just talk about him at 26 because there is no real solid landing spot for Adebayo. But, you know, when we're talking about NBA-ready bodies, this it, dude's a man right now. Oh, yeah. He, he's had his man body for a long time. I mean, we're talking 6'10", 250. I mean, that's only like 20, 25 pounds less than Nurk. And this dude's almost 20 years old he is completely chiseled he has about a 7-3 wingspan and what i love about bam the motherfucker tries to dunk everything around him i mean just his highlights are so nasty i mean it's vintage like early shack early dwight when he just caught it turned and he's like i'm bigger i'm stronger i have more will than you i'm gonna put you on a fucking poster and to be honest, I love that tenacity in a big man. I mean, to be fair, that's really one of his only offensive moves. But if that's one of your only offensive moves, go get it. I've, I like him because I think he could be a very good defensive shot blocker, weak side help, all of those things. Man, I remember thinking he was our guy at 20 earlier in the year and then the more and more we look at it, I feel good with him at 26, but I wouldn't want him at 20 or 15. That's a little, I think that's a lot with these prospects that you're talking about, and I just went into Heartland. I wouldn't have a problem with Bam at 20. Um, I do like um, Anabogu from, from UCLA a little bit better because he is a natural shot blocker, whereas Adebayu... He has the the physical tools to do so, and he's shown flashes, but that's not his forte. Like if we're talking um, Bam, it's more of the physical presence and just the tenacity on the offensive glass. Um, he pulled down 4.1 offensive boards per 40 minutes, and that's his NBA skill set. He has the body already to defend a traditional big to not get boxed out. Um, he switched everything at Kentucky on defense. He has got really nimble feet and can play that pick-and-roll defense um, up on the perimeter. And we all know watching Terry Stott's defenses, we love our bigs to be able to switch, to be nimble. He seems like he would be a great defensive fit right off the bat. And, I mean, let's be honest. Guys coming out of Kentucky under John Calipari's tutelage have a, you know, a really good track record. There's only a handful I can remember that just completely busted. And we're looking at probably uh, Marcus Teague, uh, Daniel Orton. Darius uh, Miles. No, no, no. Darius Miller. Yeah, but he wasn't a one-and-done guy. Oh, no, he was there for a while. He was there for a while, but most of his dudes come out and they produce. 
I mean, even guys like Eric Bledsoe, who were later in the draft versus like a John Wall, who was taken number one. Um, this Kentucky team was also pretty loaded with De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk was taking a lot of their shots. So Adebayo kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit. He didn't get to show his full offensive repertoire. And he does actually have a nice form on his jump shot. I don't think that's going to come within the first couple of years, but it's something that you know is is down the road. And we're still talking about a player who is a teenager. So what you see is not what you get five years down the road when his first contract is up. Um, Portland's going to have to really think long and hard when making these draft picks. Do you want to win now? Do you want to play for the future or do you want to mix? Um, who's Who do you ultimately think will be the best player, I think, in three years? I think five might be too long of an outlook with, with Damon CJ, but I think in three years you need to say who's going to be the best player. And I think that's a perfectly acceptable timeline to look at. It took CJ about that same time to turn to what he did. Um, as we mentioned all the time on this podcast, there's not a Dame, there's not an AD in this draft. They're not going to come in right away, set the world on fire. But Portland needs to find specialists with their picks if they're going to keep all three. And we've harped on this. It's all about finding a backup big and especially adding defense to this core. We've got offense galore. We know we can score 100 points a night in our sleep. But can we find the guys that are able to help us get those important, impactful defensive stops down the stretch? So before we get into our trade-up scenario, I just want to rapid fire. I'm going to just say the list of people 20 to 40 in the in mocks. Just tell me quickly what you think. Will they make it and will they not? And making it means be on an NBA roster. Dylan Brooks. I love him so much because he's from Oregon, but... He is best suited as a small ball four and that he can get away with that in college. I'm not certain he can get away with that in the pros. Yeah, I think he was so dominant because he was physically stronger than everybody else. Nigel Williams-Goss from Gonzaga. Rotation player. At like a very end of the bench rotation player. That's still making it in my definition. Josh Hart. Yeah, he's going to be surprising people. For whatever reason, he's going to drop in the second round, and he's going to be uh, – he might have a Courtney Lee-type career. Uh, he's been so productive. Uh, he's had such a productive career at Villanova. One of the main reasons he led him to the Natty in 2016. Devin Robinson out of Florida. To be honest, I've never seen him play or watched footage of him. I think I have a few times. I think he has a lot of su- – Skill sets of Marquise Chris. Uh, Derek White out of Colorado. You had to have seen him play. Oh, of course. In the Pac-12, dude always killed Oregon in the two games we played. He's pesky. He, he reminds me a little bit of kind of like a Steve Blake, J.J. Barea type player who he's going to be a, a team killer. Like he's going to be a backup point guard, and I think he's going to be in the league for, for quite, a, quite a few years. Sindarius Thornwell. Love this dude. If we're talking about buying a second round pick, please get him. I mean, if we're talking like Wesley Matthews type defense on the perimeter, just a big, strong two guard. uh, Thornwell is the guy. I loved watching him in the tournament. I think a lot of what he does translates uh, really well into the next level. I personally like PJ Dozier more, but But you're going to have to pay more to get Dozier. Yeah, I think Thornwell could be a foul machine in the pros. He's really ultra aggressive below average athleticism and that rarely if ever works out 
but he's got heart sage. Frank Mason. Hmm. I think he'll get a look. I think if he makes it, it's as a backup. I mean, it's I, unfortunate. I feel like that. You know what? That's making it for people in the fifty. I, I I mean, he just as a player of the year, he didn't wow me. Like if you think some dude's a player, like when he played Oregon, um, and I've watched him throughout the year, like he was the, he was their engine, and he definitely at Kansas they were the number one seed for a reason. But when I I just like you said, you have a gut feeling. I, my gut feeling on Frank Mason is he's probably going to get drafted a little too low, but I don't think he's going to be like a Jameer Nelson type where he was a four-year guy and got faulted. I think he's more of, I can't think of a, just a regular backup point guard, but that's probably what Frank Mason is. Last one, Dwayne Bacon. Mm, the only reason I know him is because I watched Jonathan Isaac at Florida State and Bacon, didn't he shoot the ball a, like a fuck ton every time yeah, he got the ball? Yeah, he doesn't fuck with defense at all. Just for that, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of him just from watching... I, I don't think so. So that was just randomly looking at Draft Express, picking out who was hit and who owned. There is so much talent in this draft. I would love it if we could buy a second or two. So if we did, if we did buy a second, who do you want? I know we weren't originally going to discuss this, but I'm just going to kind of put you on the spot. Well, obviously, I've been pounding my fist on the table for Wesley Wandu. So that'd oh, be... you want him at 26, dude? Who, who do you want? You buy a second round pick? Go PJ Dozier. Do you think he's a second rounder? Wait, let me check what. Yeah, PJ Dozier is slotted to be the fiftieth pick on Tankathon. That's who I would go with. If I my uh uh Wesley Wandu pick is at twenty six, and that you know what? If he goes twenty six, I'm happy with this draft. But who would you go for if you were getting a second? If I was getting a second, there's three guys I like. Um, two upperclassmen, one underclassman. I love Jonathan Motley from Baylor. He's not the defender that Jordan Bell is, but he's got a 7-4 wingspan. He's undersized. He plays his fucking heart out every night. Um, really reminds me someone who could be a Brian Grant type of player down low at the four. Um, out of Baylor, I also really like Caleb Swanigan, another undersized power forward from Purdue. Uh, again, he has the wingspan at seven three that makes up for a six nine height. He, if he I loses mean, he, weight, it'll be really interesting to see what his career arc is. Because yeah, right now he, it's he can, like he can lose man. like ten fifteen. Yeah, he's two forty seven right now. That's, that's pretty heavy for six nine. But I mean, if he's nimble, he could be. I mean, yeah, we've good. seen Zach Randolph. I mean, he is not athletic, but sometimes being not athletic is a plus because you rely on skill. We looked at Andre Miller, Zach Randolph. Those guys have been in the league forever and highly productive. Um, my last guy, we've already touched on him. If if we're looking for a shooting guard late in the draft who's a senior, Josh Hart out of Villanova. Um, what do you think about his defensive potential? It's probably not what I would draft him for. I'm just worried that his defense is going to be so bad that his offense won't be able to compensate for his lack of defense. That's but, why I didn't like him. But to be fair, though, you're you're taking a guy in the second round. He's probably going to be playing against bench bench guys. True. Yeah. 
So as long as he's not having to go up against Clay Thompson, CJ McCollum, James Harden, and he can kind of work his way into the rotation by starting up against, you know, second, third string players. I mean, he, he is a work in progress, as anybody would be in the second round. But again, I just think that's tremendous value if you're able to buy a second round pick. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about trading up options. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Team Snap is offering a free 21-day trial. Team Snap is every coach and parent's dream. An easy-to-use, indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life. Sign up for a free 21-day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team. TeamStep also provides a free Android and iPhone app so teams can be managed on the go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Uh, We are at part two of our 2017 NBA draft coverage. We've already discussed our guys at 26, who we like in the second round as a sleeper. If we had to pick, who would we go after? Now it's time to talk about what everyone loves to talk about, trading up in the draft. We were not a lottery team this year, uh, fell just outside, but there is a ton of top-level talent in Portland with a couple of players on the roster. And the three draft picks gives Neil O'Shea really uh, a lot of um, ammunition to move up in the draft. Sage, who's your guy? If we're moving up, who's number one in Sage's list? I I think if the Blazers move up, it's to pick one of these three players, and it's Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, or Laurie Markkinen. I think that right this second, Jason Tatum is more polished and could do more things for the Blazers than Josh Jackson. I'm fully aware that if both of them hit their max, Josh is such a better prospect. But I still think that Jason Tatum, as a player right this second, would help the Blazers more. I think he can score from a multitude of ways. He can shoot. He's not the athlete that Josh is, because Josh is more just pure athleticism and raw kind of like an OG type of athlete athlete but Jason Tatum is more like he moves like a Nick Batum in my eyes he's always in the right place offensively and if we had Dame CJ Jason Tatum and Nurk always have two players on the floor at one time so there's not that we lose the lead because our stars are out of the game that have hap- that has happened so much in the regular season. What do, what do you think of Jason Tatum? To be honest, dude is the best small forward in this draft. I don't think it's even close between him and Josh Jackson. If, if I can choose between the two, I'm taking Tatum and I'm running all the way to the bank. Um, not that I don't think Josh Jackson's a good prospect. I just think he has much more bust potential. Oh, yeah. But I and think his ceiling is... Ceiling to it's me, the ceiling. I'm not certain it's that much higher though. When I see Jason Tatum play, I see a very well-rounded offensive player. Um, here is a guy who can take his defender off the dribble. He is devastating in isolation, and he's comfortable in shooting off the dribble. And he does post up. I love guys who are able to score on the post. Um, I don't know if Tatum is the perfect pit, per, perfect fit for Portland. 
uh, especially when he really thrives in isolation basketball because you've already got Dame and CJ and Nurk also needs the basketball. So that's four guys that need the rock. However, as we've seen with Golden State, it is so nice when you're able to just stagger your substitution. So you always have two or three of those guys on the court at the same time and you make it work to start out the game and you make it work to finish out the game. Um, He really is a pretty good three point shooter. I'm not in love with his stroke. He kind of puts the ball behind his head a little bit, but he did shoot 34% on about four attempts at Duke. And when I watched him, he was the best prospect on the floor. You could tell. Yeah, always. He was the best guy on the floor. He had a couple of highlight plays where he just took his defender off the dribble and finished with authority. I mean, you're talking about like six, eight, six, nine guy. That's prototypical small forward size. And it's not like this dude doesn't have defensive capabilities. I mean, he is a good defender. Really, why he's not the number one pick is he's not an incredible athlete. Yeah, if he he's, had Josh more Jackson, he's more Yeah, smooth. he's definitely more smooth. But again, we've talked about this, Sage. Being a freakish athlete doesn't always really kind of wet my whistle. And I like guys who are more skilled than athletic because – you look at C.J. McCollum, for example, not that athletic, but the dude has a hesitation game. He thinks the game through. He's a, a student of the game. He's very cerebral. And if you can find guys like that, they that will trump athleticism any day of the week. Mm. Yeah, I think the smarts and the, the, the ability to just be in the right place. When I first watched him, I thought he was a small forward version of Jabari Parker because he was always in the right place. But like the more I watch him, he has like a Danny Granger type of game. He has a like I think if he hits fully, he's Gordon Hayward. And I think he's better than Gordon Hayward if he hits fully. Damn. Okay. No, no, way better than Gordon Hayward. So what what do you think his what probably will happen and what kind of player do you think he is if he hits one hundred percent? I mean, I think he's he's a more willing passer than Carmelo Anthony. Absolutely, yeah. That's that. I mean, just the way he looks so comfortable in that triple threat position, the way he's able to just see over his defender, he's able to to back him down. Like he has got so much mellow in his game, but I don't think he is the ball dominant mellow. And what I've read on Tatum is he needs to find the balance between finding his shot and being a willing passer because sometimes he tries to pass when it's not there. So it's like it's on his mind. Like he knows he should pass and he wants to pass but he hasn't kind of quite figured that out yet. And I think that's what kind of separates him from some of the more isolation heavy players that we've seen come through the league. I, I, I get the mellow comparison. I definitely do. But I just think of him as, I think of mellow as just a supremely selfish player. And that's just not what I see when I see Jason Tatum. I think that the, 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 the him playing at Duke has shown that he is the, the, the more well-rounded in his game than just an ISO ball guy. How high would Portland have to move up to get to Tatum now, realistically? Five? For, I mean, that that's the thing, man. The draft can go a couple different ways, but I think to get a guaranteed shot, four or five. Yeah, I don't think five gets it done because one, Sacramento's not trading that pick. They want De'Aaron Fox bad. Um, they might actually package it up. Um I think you might have to go four or three, and I just I don't know if Portland has enough to get there, realistically. True. 
But I mean, like this is all hypothetical. I mean, if it, he he is way harder to attain than the other two guys that we're going to talk about. But I think his impact is a lot more than the other two guys potentially. My guy. Lowry marketing, Arizona. Everyone who's listened to this podcast throughout the year knows he's kind of been my man crush. And I was cooling on him a little bit. Everyone's like, oh, he's dropping. He's, I'm like, what? Why? I went back. I watched his strengths. I watched his weaknesses. And I fell in love with the prospect again. Um, this is a kid. And I've heard people compare him to Myers Leonard. First of all, get the no, fuck out of here. No, no, That is the laziest comparison I have ever yeah, heard. I've seen that comparison too. It's just lazy thinking. Watch the game. They play nothing alike. Myers is much more bulkier. He is not as fleet on, uh, not as light on his, on his feet as Lowry is. Lowry can dribble the basketball. He can score in ways that I saw CJ McCollum coming out of Lehigh. Not necessarily with the handle, but he can score off of catch and shoot, off of pick and pop. He can score off of spot ups. And he can score as the ball handler in the pick and roll. We're talking about a seven-footer who is 19 years old scoring off of the pick and roll. Uh, I, I I believe he has hit the most three-pointers of any seven-footer in college since 2000. Um, the guy isn't the best of passers, but he plays the right way. He makes the smart pass. He has a really high intelligence. I believe his father played in, in the Finnish leagues as well. So he's got that in his bloodlines. and defensively he's never going to be a lockdown defender we can all agree on that but he the effort is there on defense the effort is there on trying to attack the glass but we're looking at a guy if we're looking at Nurkic as our cornerstone down low the high low with Markkanen and Nurkic I mean that is next level shit right there because I kind of compared him to Ryan Anderson uh but he's that's tougher. only in, only in the shooting sense he can do Ryan Anderson's completely catch and shoot he honestly reminds me when I watch this of a young Kevin Durant and I know everyone wants to say Dirk because he's European and he's white and he's, you know, tall, but people forget Katie's about seven feet too. Not, not T W O, but T O O. And he just has that. Not, he's not as fluid as Durant cause he's a little bit bigger, but he just, the way he kind of dribbles, the way he's, you know, just kind of glides around the court. Like it, it seems like it comes easy to him. Like he's not phased by length when, you know, defenders close out on him. He's got NBA range already. Uh, Sage, this, this is the guy. And I've seen him as low as 12 or 13. That is extremely attainable. And when we're looking at fit, I mean, I don't know if there is a better fit in the draft for Portland than Lowry marketing. I think there, there's a blueprint for him to succeed in Portland, and that is just a huge thing. There's a role that is just screaming to be filled with Laurie Marketing. I think that he is one of these prospects that fits a lot of things that we want. He's he he adds toughness. I don't. I, I, there's this narrative that I think needs to stop about Euro guys being weak. He is willing to bang in the post. He can be our stretch five when Nurk is out. Just put him, move him in the five, and he can take on almost all third bigs. I think that he, if we trade up and Tatum's off the board, Laurie Marketed is our pick 
10 out of 10 times. I mean, the dude shot 55% from two and 42% from three. He has a defined role in the NBA. Everyone knows what it is. Um, he's my guy. I hope we go out and get him. I would be willing to package 15 and plus plus to move up. Again, if you see him dropping on draft night, I mean, I've seen him as high as seven, as low as like 13, uh, 12 and 13. So it just depends on how it plays out on draft night. But Portland has assets. We also have guys like Mo Harkless or Alfaruq Aminu who we can move up as well. This just makes too much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I definitely think that he if he will be the guy if the Blazers decide on draft night we're going to trade up and try and get him. That this is the guy. If the fit is just too perfect. And you know what? Tatum was a pie in the sky type of guy, but. This is the guy that fits everything that the Blazers want and that, you know, you can imagine with this offense having Nurk in the post, him spotting up from his hot zones. I, I think it would just work perfectly to have him. He's never going to be the the aggressive finisher that, you know, Justin Patton or any of those guys are, but he fits all the needs that the Blazers have. So I, I, I love the pick. And then... We're going to talk about one more guy, and that's Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State University. And I think this guy has the biggest boomer bust potential. I completely agree. He intrigues me and scares the shit out of me at the exact same time. Um, He is so tall, 6'11", but he's so small in terms of his weight. He's 205. I mean, this dude only has 35 pounds on me, and he is a good 11, 12 inches taller than me. One, that has to change. I do know you can get strength, so that's not a, a super big weakness, but it is something to be a little concerned about. 205 is really, really scrawny for a guy 19. Um, we did see Kevin Durant come out of Texas, couldn't bench 185. It didn't hurt him at all, so that's not too big of a knock. He has the ability to guard. One, one through, through five. Four. Oh, I was. I think he's one got through to get five. stronger. He's got to get stronger to guard centers. Like there's no way he could guard Nurkic, Marcus um, Andrew, even a guy like Andrew Bogut. Like there's no way he can guard a center right now. Maybe in the future. Maybe but... in the future, completely yes. But he's got to get stronger. He has shown offensive flashes. When I went back and watched the tape on him, his jumper stood out to me more than than it had in the past. Um, what worries me about Isaac is he's not going to fulfill his offensive um, potential, and you're essentially looking at an OG um, Ananobi type of, of prospect. And why why trade up when you can just get OG at like 15? Essentially, um, another thing about Isaac is he was so passive at times at Florida State. I watched I, I literally spent 15 minutes at a time watching him play and I had to change the channel because he wouldn't shoot the ball or they wouldn't pass him the ball like he would go halves without without making an impact. Like I just don't think for a lottery pick you can float like that. And I mean, we're going to have to give up major assets. There's rumors of him going as high I as five. fifth. Yeah, so it's like we are giving up major assets for a humongous question mark. If he hits, that's game-changing defensive and potential offensive prowess. Like he is the he's the utility belt of defensive prospects. He has everything. But 
um, on the other hand, he's pretty raw offensively. So if it hits, game changer. If it doesn't, and we have to give up all of these assets for a guy that is timid, might not re- that won't reach his potential offensively, that is potentially a fireable offense for trading all of these assets that we'll never, ever have again. I mean, in that sense, kind of timid, a little bit passive, very long, needs to add weight. Reminds me a little bit of Nick Batum coming out of the draft, obviously with a lot more hype and potential. But I mean, those are the kind of the same qualifications. You know, Isaac is a he's a five by five potentially like he could go out and he could do that on any given night. Um, He has really all the tools. He's not great at anything on offense. He's just good at a lot. And I think that's okay. We saw that in Brandon Roy. He was not elite. But he was so good, he was a jack-of-all-trades, that he turned himself into an elite NBA player. The the, the measurables are going to be hard to pass up. Um, I would not fault Neil if, if he went out and, and targeted Isaac. But if marketing was on the board and we, we went Isaac, I would, I would scratch my head. Just because Isaac is so, so raw. And I think marketing still has the potential that Isaac, not as much, but he's ready to go right now. Yeah. It's just such a risky proposition to, are you going to mortgage, would you rather mortgage your future on a humongous question mark or someone more solid that can help you contribute, that might have a smaller or less uh, high ceiling? Yeah, he's, he's got such a high, I mean, he's got, he's got Giannis ceiling. I mean, it's that high. I mean, if you're willing to go all in like you've got ten thousand dollars you're putting it all on red on that relay table if you're willing to do that i mean it, it's really boom or bust i i haven't made up my mind whether i think he is going to to boom or bust it's that tough of a prospect for me to evaluate personally i i mean if this was any other draft i'd be all up for trading all three picks for the chance at jonathan isaac but the fact that this is such a deep draft the deepest in at least five years. I wouldn't do it. But any other year, sure. I just, I don't have, the, I don't have the balls to say, this is our one guy that we're coming into camp when there's potentially 40 NBA players in this draft. All right, Sage, we've really dissected every single available option for the Trailblazers in the 2017 draft before we sign off for the night. What is your ideal draft night look like? OG 15, Patton 20, um, I don't, 26, I, I, you know what, I'd go Harry Giles just because of the potential, trade for two seconds, and I would take one, would have to be Wesley Wandu. Well, what's your ideal draft night? Assuming... Three picks for Paul George is off the table. I would, one, look to trade out for marketing. So whether that's 15 and 20, 15 and 26, get Lowry marketing. With that second pick, I would go Jordan Bell. Um, those are the, the two guys I have been kind of on their wagon the entire year. Um, one gives us offense. One gives us defense. They're both specialists. They're both winners. Um, I think they would both really help out this roster. I know we already have a young power forward in Noah Vonley, 
But as you mentioned, basketball is a positionless sport moving forward. Bell could play some five. Markin could play some five. Noah's played five. Uh, we're, we're the trailblazers. Uh, we need as many big bodies as possible. I mean, we know our history with bigs. If we stay, if we stay part of the course, my ideal draft night would probably be OG at 15. Ike Anabog, ugh, Ike Anabogu at, at 20 and Jordan Bell at 26. Um, you're looking at a center, a power forward and a small forward. You're really shoring up that front court for the future. You're thinking defense, defense, defense. Um, I love Ike. I mean, that that's he and Jordan Bell, like just imagining them playing together defensively. I mean, I get visions of 04 Pistons, Ben Wallace, Rashid Wallace, just you are not scoring on us right now. And we have so much firepower in the backcourt and especially, you know, even Alan Crabb could play some small forward. Like, we have offensive firepower. What it, Portland is lacking is defense. When they are the most elite in historical sense, defense has come first. Um, those would be my guys. They're they're all pretty young. They all have a lot of upside. Um, Jordan Bell is more on the, the older age, but, man, just... Is he 21? He's like 22, 23. But... I love that dude. I love his heart. I love his intensity. I love his attitude. He is one of the best shot blocking prospects that I can remember. Um, there are just some guys that know how to rebound. Some guys just know how to score. He knows how to, to, to block. And it, it's been in his DNA since he came to the University of Oregon. Like He was already breaking shot blocking records his freshman year. So I would love to get OG, Ike, and Jordan really start pushing the culture defensively. And you know what? If Damon CJ know they've got guys around them that are going to kind of make up for their, their mistakes, they can be a little more aggressive um, on the defensive perimeter. I mean, yeah. Wesley, I want to do the PDX. That's what I want. Um, you ready to wrap this baby up? Of course. Um, Thank you again for listening, everyone. If you like what you're hearing, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We are also available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. And as always, you can find us on social media at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sage, we managed to record this episode when I started at 44% battery life. I am now down to five. I am on the red (laughs) battery. I have just been hoping and praying that we could finish this and you know what it's our night we we got it done my friend that's uh, uh sage digital on twitter uh listen to all the podcasts no evan m this week we're gonna have a pretty cool show next week hopefully working on other podcasts so wesley awandu to pdx follow sage digital follow holy backboard follow the i guess facebook group that we don't really post on that much just listen If you like us, share it. Hit us up on Twitter. We're out. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!